0: Our scripture reading this morning will be from Matthew 9, verses 9-13. through 13. Matthew 9, 9-13. through 13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. So it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, They said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This morning, we want to spend a few moments talking about the tax man. Now, we're getting closer and closer to one of the more dreaded periods of time throughout the year. Each year on April the 15th, we have to, uh, many of us have to write out a check. Some of us are uh, fortunate enough not to have to do that, but a lot of us have to write out a check and send that in so we can pay the tax man. Uh, That is, unless we file an extension. I've done that often, and then you still have to pay him in October. So either way, we have to interact with those who collect funds for our government. The same was true in Jesus' day. They had to interact with those people. They were called publicans, uh, but uh, Matthew was the tax man. And people had to do things with him and had to give him money and had to interact with him even when they did not want to. When Jesus was walking the earth and He was beginning His ministry in the world, He did a lot of amazing things. He healed the sick, the blind, the lame, He brought those from death back to life and He calmed the storms of nature. But one of the greatest things that He did that I believe is often overlooked is He found Himself a tax man and He brought him into His group of men and he began to work in the service of God. Now like so many of us today, the taxman of Jesus' day, people like Matthew, they were not someone who people sought out. In fact, they didn't want to have anything to do with the taxman, other than having to pay the tribute which they owed the empire. Now, Jesus wasn't like that, was He? He didn't avoid anyone when it came to offering salvation for one's soul. He sought out everyone. And I think because Matthew was brought into the service of Jesus, he learned a great many things that were beneficial to him. Obviously, he gained salvation. But he learned so many things that were beneficial to him that I am sure he was able to demonstrate to other people, and through Him we learn those things. He learned how Jesus interacted with people, exactly what He thought about His creation and His view of those who were around Him. Today we want to look at the first thing that is on our list of things that Matthew learned. And our first point is that Jesus would and will accept all people. Now, we cannot misunderstand that. We have to understand the parameters He has set forth for Him to accept all people. Jesus will fully accept anyone who will fully accept Him. He will accept anyone who will follow after Him in the ways that He has demanded for one to follow. But I want us to notice this this group of individuals that the Lord had assembled. He had assembled and had brought together, for the most part, uneducated fishermen, not professional speakers. He didn't find the orators of the day who were uh, professional in their speaking abilities. He didn't, that wasn't what he was looking for. He was looking for simply good men. And who would have ever believed that he could have taken such a group of men and brought them together? And they would have assisted him and helped him to be successful in the mission for which he came to earth. Again, let's consider their personalities. Let's look at these men and their personalities and see exactly what a great feat that was. Again, for the most part, they were uneducated fishermen. But there was also a greedy treasurer in the group, right? There was a taxman by the name of Matthew, But there was also another Simon in the group, Simon Zelotus. He was a zealot, meaning that he had a great zeal for the overthrow of the Roman Empire. And zealots were extremists, to say the least. They hated anyone who was not loyal to Israel. And you know who that would have been? Matthew. Matthew was not loyal, or at least in the estimate of a zealot, he was not loyal to the nation of Israel. Again, consider what his duty was. He was contracted by the Romans to collect tribute for the empire. Now, they didn't care how much tax he collected, as long as he sent the appropriate amount of tax to Rome. He could extract more than what the law demanded. And they allowed that. And of course that was an issue because no one wants to be robbed of their money. So he could have extracted more money than the law allowed and therefore he would have been a very wealthy individual because that is what he would have had extra as far as his employment. And they almost always did that. They almost always overcharged for the tribute that was owed. But because of that, think of the way that they were viewed. A publican was not allowed to enter into the temple. They were not allowed to socialize with decent people. People didn't like them. The only time a Jew would come into contact with the tax man was when they needed to pay their taxes. Otherwise, they were ostracized. And... uh, but when we look at this group of men, how was it that Jesus was able to be so successful using these men from so varied backgrounds who obviously there would have been some strife within the group. And we know that as the account of Jesus' life is unfolded for us in the Gospel accounts, that there was strife and arguing and and jockeying for position of power and things of that nature. But there certainly would have been an issue with Simon the Zealot And with Matthew, so how was it that a group of people with so little in common were able to be successful? Well, they were able to be successful the same reason that the church is able to be successful today. We don't have to have all things in common. We just have to have one thing in common. And of course, that's Jesus. He will accept anyone if they will follow Him. And if we follow Him, through that acceptance, we gain the freedom of heaven. We're cut loose from the bonds that have been placed upon us. Have you ever asked yourself, why would Jesus invite a tax collector to be a part of His missionary effort? After all, they were well provided for they lived the, the uh, good lives when when many of those around them did not live good lives well it must have been that Jesus saw something in Matthew that perhaps Matthew did not even see in himself and as he followed with Jesus and learned from him and and experienced the things that Jesus experienced and and was with him and the other men and and many of the other disciples. I think over time he watched and he learned and and he gained a great amount of information. I think he learned, one of the things he learned was that Jesus considered Matthew to be somebody. He didn't simply consider him to be a publican. That kind of takes the humanity away from the individual when when we talk about, Or when we notice how the Pharisees talked about publicans and sinners. There's no individual person there, right? There's no one that would make me want to reach out to them and help them in some way. It's just a a generic group of people who are beyond reaching. See, Matthew learned that Jesus viewed him as somebody. And I've often thought, I wonder how long it, it was at that point in his life that someone had spoken a kind word to Matthew. How long had it been since someone had simply asked him how his day was or how are you doing? But I wonder how many people we come into contact in our lives that maybe they hadn't heard that in a while. Maybe we come into contact with people and, and they haven't heard someone want to ask, well, how are you today? How are things going with you? Just a, just a normal greeting of kindness I would say that happens a lot. Proverbs sixteen twenty four Solomon wrote for us saying, Pleasant words are as in honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and health to the bones. So I think that Matthew learned that he was somebody, but not just he was somebody. Everybody is somebody, right? And God understands that, and He has a love for us. But I think something else he learned was within this idea of freedom, is that there is hope. There's hope. You know, people in Matthew's line of work would be ostracized. They didn't have that interaction with society. They were hated. They didn't have the fellowship and the friendship, uh, maybe, maybe not even having family for having a family because of the line of work in which they were in, often enduring isolation and despair. It must have been almost a, a hopeless feeling being in the world because after all, money just makes you so happy, right? A person can be extremely wealthy and be extremely unhappy. And so I think that he learned there was hope. It must have been... Comforting for Matthew to have been accepted into the fellowship of someone like Christ. To have been accepted into a group of people who had similar goals and similar ideas and to be around people who he could share a fellowship and have companionship and know that they loved and cared for him. That must have been something that that brightened his day and brought hope into his life. I think because of those things, the the apostles would have never been surprised when Jesus extended kindness to those who were even caught up in sinful activity. You recall in John 8, 1 through 11, they caught the woman who had sinned, and Jesus did not overlook the sin, and we need to be sure and understand that. He never overlooked sin, He never allowed sin to continue, He never endorsed sin, but he, He always extended kindness to get to that individual so he could allow them the freedom of this life. He was always kind and loving. We notice that he would even go against the customs of the day, right? In our passage, he came across Matthew sitting at the tax office, and the next thing we read about is now they're having a dinner party. They're having a dinner party. Not only would he live and work with a taxman, he would eat at his home with other taxmen and sinners. Again, never condoning the sin. He never condoned the sin, but if he was not around those individuals, how would he have ever reached out to them? But he offered them freedom from the sin if they followed him. He wouldn't allow social discomfort to to prevent him from reaching out to those around him. That was his whole goal, wasn't it? And neither should we allow those things to interact or to, to hinder us. Jesus left the glory of heaven, didn't he? We can't really imagine that. Exactly how wonderful heaven was, but he left that. So I think surely each of us can leave the comforts of our home And follow His example. Matthew learned that Jesus would accept anyone who would follow Him. And by following Him, they would receive that freedom that only Jesus could offer. But why was it that He was able to do that? What about Jesus' personality would would Matthew have seen in Him that would have allowed Him to get close enough to someone to accept them, to offer them the chance to follow Him and the freedom that came with that. Well, He acquainted Himself with people, didn't He? That's our second point. He acquainted Himself with people. In other words, He reached out to the world. He reached out to the world. He wanted to be a part of them in the aspect of offering them salvation. He certainly wanted them, the world, to be a part of His life. And he did the unthinkable, didn't he, according to at least the Pharisees and and Sadducees and scribes and chief Jews of of his day. He hung around with a bunch of sinners. He extended his fellowship in the sense of his, his national fellowship to people he was trying to get to understand a few things. You know, I imagine the other apostles... We're just a little confused by this as well. Because think about it. They were loyalists to their nation. The other apostles, minus Matthew, they expected at some point for Jesus to restore the power and the glory of Israel. They were looking forward to that. Now, where would that leave Matthew? On the outside looking in, wouldn't it? So they must have been confused. I'm sure they weren't... So excited to be at that dinner party with all those other publicans and sinners. But Christ's whole goal was to impact the lives of all people, wasn't it? It wasn't just to impact the lives of the Israelites. Oh, it started with them. It began with them. It reached out from them into other places. But I want us to notice, because of Jesus' acceptance, His willingness to allow people to follow Him, if they were obedient, that demonstrated something to Matthew, didn't it? What did he want to do once he found that? Well, he wanted to go gather those people who who he knew was also in a similar situation. He wanted to go get those other people. Do you remember what Andrew did? What, What did Andrew do? He went and got his brother Peter But notice that Matthew didn't go get a brother, did he? didn't go get a family member. I would think that if he had had a family, he would have gone and gotten them. Now, he may have had a family. It may not simply be recorded for us. But he did go get those who he had some kind of a fellowship with. He did go get his peer group, those who probably had no one else to lean upon and he wanted them to see what he was seeing. He wanted them to experience those things and because of that love and kindness he wanted his friends to see that. So I think it would have been absolutely natural for Matthew to have invited his friends and to have a meal in the honor of Jesus' name after what he had learned from him. He wanted them to have that same joy and I think that ought to be our goal as well. I think we need to also understand within the context of Jesus' life. He didn't just reach out to to those that were alien to Him. Oh, his, His goal was to save the world, wasn't it? That's His goal, to give opportunity for the world to be saved. But that wouldn't happen beyond the house of Israel until you turn the pages of our Bibles and we get over anywhere from three to six years from the time of, Christ's death and resurrection to the time of Cornelius and his household. Then it would extend to the Gentile world. So Jesus was not only concerned with reaching out to those who weren't a part of God's people as far as the nation of Israel was concerned. He wanted to reach out to those who needed to return to God as well. All the publicans and, and those sinners, they were Jews. They needed to return to God just like Matthew did. They'd become unfaithful. They lived under the Old Testament law, and they needed to do the necessary things under that Old Testament law to find favor with God once again. I think we learned something very amazing from the fact that a party was being hosted in, the, in honor of Jesus. So you had a, a tax man who was a publican and no doubt followed the same. Uh, avenues of income that the other publicans were so well known of following. But he must have given that up, and we're certain that he repented of those things and became a faithful apostle, gave his life for Christ. But I think one thing that ought to stick out in our minds is not only does God want the unfaithful to return home, but when they do return home, He wants us to celebrate that. He wants us to kill the fatted calf, doesn't he? Luke fifteen, twenty two through twenty four. Now, literally, we don't go kill the fatted calf. I don't know that any of us have a fatted calf in our in our backyards. But what's the point, right? It's appreciating and being joyful for those people. So they they threw a party. They threw a, they had a feast celebrating that. A celebration always takes place when when sinners come back, when they return after God has reached out to them. Luke 15.10 Likewise I say, this is Christ speaking unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. I think our brethren need to see the joy in our faces when they repent and return to following God. I think the church is where we find the good news, right? That's where we find the good news. Often there are so many who seem to have lost their joy. We don't want that. The joy of salvation should never be taken from us in this life. Matthew learned that Jesus will accept anyone who chooses to follow him according to his laws. He does that because he acquainted himself and he still does it today. Does it a little different way, he does it through the scripture but he acquainted himself with people, giving him an opportunity to allow people to come to him. But there was something else, I think, that Matthew learned that he wouldn't have learned from listening to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, listening to the chief Jews of his day or the scribes, of anyone like that. He learned that Jesus acknowledged that each individual had a soul that was very important. That's our third and final point. One of the problems at that time was that while Jesus was trying to show and demonstrate that each person has a soul that is priceless to God. All the Pharisees were doing was protest. All they did was protest against that very act. They continually complained that Jesus was in the presence of sinners and publicans. People unworthy of His attention, right? I think that's why Jesus explained to them, I didn't come seeking the righteous. God has the righteous. He came seeking those who were in need of God, those who were not righteous. He came to call sinners to repentance. Faithful don't need to repent. They're living as God has asked them to live. Healthy people don't need a physician, right? I think one of the primary things they failed to realize was they were in the group Jesus was seeking. They didn't think they were. They were looking down upon the publicans and sinners, and they needed to to be addressed. There's no doubt about it. They needed to repent of those things. Anyone classified as a sinner needs to do something to amend that. And that's obedience to God's plan of salvation. They should have recognized Jesus as the one, the Messiah, yet they did not. So they didn't recognize or they didn't want to recognize that they were in that group. Do you remember when the two men went up into the temple to pray? One was a Pharisee one was a publican. And the Pharisee prayed and he stood there and he thought within himself and he looked up to God and he said, I'm so thankful that I'm not like this publican. And then he went on to disparage the man and, and talk about other men, not just the publican. He talked about all those men who were sinful. He wasn't wrong in stating God doesn't appreciate that. And then he went on to describe all the wonderful things to God that he was doing. I don't know that we need to do that. I don't need that. We think that we need to quote Scripture to God. I think he understands what Scripture is. I don't think we need to explain to God all the wonderful things we're doing in this life because He's very well aware of the things we're doing in this life. But that's what this Pharisee did. But then we get over to this publican. He wouldn't even look up. He simply asked God to forgive him that he was a sinner. And Jesus said, who went home justified? Was it the braggart or was it the man who was looking for forgiveness? I think that is an explanation of the majority of Pharisees who lived in Jesus' day. I think that's how they viewed things. I don't think they could ever apply to themselves what they applied to other people. I think they, they laid burdens upon those people that could not be born and burdens they could not bear themselves. They completely rejected the truth that Jesus had provided for them they would not receive the healing of Jesus. They would not give themselves to Him. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to accept that He's the way, the truth, and the life, that no one went to the Father except by Him, John fourteen six. They didn't want to hear that. They thought that they would be just fine on their own. So we see how the Pharisees protested when Matthew and his fellow tax men came together but Matthew would have understood by the actions of Jesus that he didn't prefer any one person over the other. He didn't love the Pharisees more. He didn't love anyone over anyone else. He loved people all the same. I want us to notice he sat with the publicans, but didn't he want to save the Pharisees also? Sure he did. Jesus was courageous in his ministry. He knew he'd be rejected by the leadership of Israel. He knew that he would be mistreated, that he would be condemned as he reached out to those less fortunate around him. I think Peter understood that and he would have remembered back to this point in time. He probably didn't fully understand this interaction with Matthew, but later on in Cornelius' house as he stood there, he said, of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Of course, they were bringing the Gentiles in, but the Jews hated the 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 publicans about as much as they hated the gentile. Jesus loves us all and and that includes those who have never obeyed him. But we have to understand God does not overlook sin, he never has, he never will. There's a certain plan he has put into place for us to be able to to come into a covenant relationship with him after having read the the commandments that God has put forth and we look all throughout the New Testament and we see a pattern. We look in the instances of Cornelius. We look in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. We look in Acts chapter 3 when Peter and and, and John were preaching to the other people. We get over to Acts 16 and we see the Philippian jailer. In that same chapter we see Tabitha. There's a pattern by which we're saved. The gospel is always preached. Paul said the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and there's a lot that goes in with that. But as a result of understanding that Jesus will accept those who will follow Him, that we have to believe that. We have to believe that He is who He said He was, causing us to repent of whatever lifestyle in which we're living, turn to Him, Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, in Acts 3.19, Peter said, Repent, be converted. Confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Romans ten nine and 10, uh, Paul said, With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Well, what exactly are we confessing? That Jesus is the Son of God, that He is who He said He was, Acts 8.37. Walking down into the water, being immersed being dipped under the water, baptized, and that's what that means. But we do it for a reason. We don't do it, in the words of Peter, to take a bath, First Peter 3.21. We're not doing it to wash off the dirt of our physical bodies. He said we're doing it for an answer to a clean conscience toward God. For baptism doth also now save us, not to put away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a clear conscience toward God. And then living a faithful life. Sometimes we we backtrack into a life of sin and God expects us to repent of those things and ask Him to forgive us. And we can do that, 1 John 1, 7, and He will forgive us. But those are necessary steps that we have to take and, and that's God's plan. We can't adjust God's plan. We want to be saved, but a lot of people want to be saved the way they want to be saved. Let's just be saved the way God has asked us to be saved. If you have need to answer this invitation this morning, do that as we stand and as we sing.